What is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday, hump day. We hope you enjoyed the H2G podcast, but it is now time for The Wire. And I am joined by two of my favorite people in the world. I got Richie Phillips and Tony Ray Beach in the house. Tony, welcome back, my man. Yes, sir. You know, I couldn't miss out on some sports. I had, I had, to, I had to make it. I had to enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, we rotate in and out of here and everybody's kind of catching on to that. Richie, how's it going out there? It's going, my friend. You know, we talked about Texas. It's time to get into some football. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, we are going to kick things off with the NFL. Um, and as we discussed last week, kind of flipping our structure, putting more spotlight on the NBA since it is that time of year. But we're talking football right now. Carson Wentz has taken all kinds of flack from The Wire, from every single one of us. He did not make the Make Amends segment last week, so uh, <laughs> sorry, Carson. Uh, but he did have a pretty exciting week. He got traded, finally, uh, to Indiana, the Indianapolis Colts. Um, so I do have a couple of questions. First, we'll go around the horn. Who do you think won the trade here? Ooh, oh, this is tough. I'll go first. Um, I really didn't think this through. I'm going to go through it live. Let's think about this. Okay. So for the Eagles, they finally get to dump Carson Wentz. And when I say dump, uh, allegedly the head coach Peterson and him had not been speaking for the last 10 weeks during the season. So there was a lot of turmoil. Now it's been on record multiple times that he has had a lot of issues in the locker room being a leader. And that's always been a thing. Like, even when they won the Super Bowl, everyone was all on the Nick Foles bandwagon, right? Like, Carson got injured, Foles came to go, and they preferred Foles' leadership. So leadership has always been the biggest intangible against Carson Wentz. Then you factor in he was playing well until this year. And then this year, he was not playing well, and he looked miserable. And outside of um, Cam Newton, who was injured and clearly a shell of himself, at least this year, um, Carson Wentz probably the next worst quarterback. And that's painful to even say, because you're talking about a Super Bowl winner, you know, three years removed. Uh, one of the only men to beat Tom Brady, as a matter of fact. Um, but having said that, um, I don't know. I'd say Indianapolis. And here's why I say Indianapolis. Um, one, who knows? Maybe a restart and a fresh start for Carson. Because if you take this year out of the equation, He's a great quarterback. He was having great years last year. He, he was called Wakatua by Shannon Sharp because he's one of the few guys that was carrying team, like a team with nobodies. Now, we talked about this with Matt Stafford. Some people say he did have people, you know, Marvin Jones. Marvin, saying Marvin Jones Jr., et cetera. Uh, myself saying not really. And in this case, I will say for sure, Carson Wentz had nobodies last year. And he threw for like 4,700 yards. So is he still a capable quarterback? It's possible. If this team doesn't need his... You know him to be the true leader based on the reports this could be a great fresh start for him um and as we saw with the Colts they're a hell of a team hell of a team and with Philip Rivers at his age you know they were they still did great so this is great for Indianapolis really smart because they got a second and a third that's all they had to do Carson Wentz was a former number one pick right you know it was rumored originally that they wanted multiple picks a la Matt Stafford and uh, the interesting thing I found out about this whole trade is from the get-go, the Colts said second and third, and you have one month to decide. And when that month came up, they called them and said, do you want it or not, or we're going to draft. And so they, 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 took, they took the deal. So 
So that's the best they could get. I'm shocked, if anything, that that's the best they can get. And so, yeah, that's what I'm going to say the Colts won. You, you had a former first-round pick and a, a quality quarterback outside of this year, and you got him for a second and third rounder. Now, do I think he's going to be a top 10 quarterback? I don't know, because Hilton might not be there. Like, there's a lot of question marks with that team. Carson Wentz being the biggest one. But what I will say is I would gladly give up a second and a third round pick for a former Super Bowl quarterback. Particularly that's, I think, 26 years old. I mean, he's still very young, very young kid. So I'm going to go with the Colts. I think they won. And I'm going to have to go the opposite way that Richie went, just because, you know, it's Carson Wentz. All right. So Carson Wentz won this trade because he gets to go to the Colts. He's not on the Eagles anymore. You know, um, the Colts have a great defense. They got great running backs. They've got, you know, great uh, wide receivers. A lot different than the scene that they had in in Philadelphia, okay? So the Colts, even though it was a second and a third, to me, that's too much, okay? And, and, And second, you're paying this man $24 million, okay? You're picking up his contract, $24 million. 10 million of it is guaranteed. You had you had Brissett, so Brissett's probably not coming back. Okay, so would you pick Jacoby Brissett or would you pick Carson Wentz? That's up for you to decide. Would you pick Carson Wentz or would you pick Andy Dalton? That's up for you to decide. There's there's options out there for quarterback that the Colts had. They had Philip Rivers, you know, going down. You know, Eli Manning retired the year before. Ben Roethlisberger's pretty much on his way out. He's just trying to stick around. You know, uh, Cam Newton. Hey, between Cam Newton <laughs> and Carson Wentz, I, I I don't I don't even know. Like I don't even know which way I would go. If you paid me money to have to make a decision on the quarterback that I would take. I really don't know. It, I, I guess it would depend on the kind of offense that I wanted to run. If I wanted a quarterback that could run around, you get it from both of them. You know, it's just Carson Wentz is more fumble happy than than Newton is. I mean, Newton does have his turnovers, but not as much as, as Carson Wentz, if you looked at last year. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, no one gives him a lot of credit. You can, you can have Ryan come in for a year. You don't even have to pay him that 24 mil. You'll, he'll probably take, what, 14 mil? You know, 15 mil, you're going to save 10, maybe 9 million there. You can't go after Dak Prescott because Dak's going to want big time money. So, you know, it's really they're saving money. The Colts are saving money. They're trying to put a quarterback in place that can throw the ball down the field if he has the time. But to me, I would have kept Jacoby Brissett. I would have kept my, my second and my third. If they wanted to give me Carson Wentz for a five, a four and a five, then then I, then I would do it. But he's still too much for $24 million. I'm not trying to hate on Carson Wentz, ladies and gentlemen. I, I really am not. But in all honesty, he wasn't even a Super Bowl quarterback. What quarterback won in that Super Bowl? <laughs> it, it wasn't Carson Wentz. It was Nick Foles. And he went to a team, and you saw exactly what kind of quarterback that he was. So, you know, it's the NFL. You never really know. It's a soap opera every single day. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But for me, Carson Wentz definitely won because he got out of Philadelphia. He's going to start. He's going to be able to start over. And to me, the Colts are the losers. 
Yeah, I don't think they would have had a chance at Dak Prescott anyway. There's a good chance he gets tagged uh, coming up here. And, oh, he's he's gonna get tagged. Yeah, and 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 you know, as far as for Cam, he a free agent. But we, we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. We are. Well, t- just also <laughs> side note, side note: Carolina Panthers already regretting paying Teddy Bridgewater twenty five million a year. Looking to shop him right now. Man. So, just throwing that out there. So we talked about who won the trade. My question, and we talked a little bit about Carson Wentz as a quarterback. Do we think that Frank Reich's the man to unlock some hidden potential that's still left there? I mean, as you mentioned, he's a younger guy. He has played well to Richie's point, uh, but to Tony's point, he's also super fumble happy. He's not top tier, I think, to everyone's point. Do you think that Frank Reich's the solution? There are, do we see a, a picture where Carson Wentz gets back into contention or at least the conversation? Oh, okay. I'll go again first. Uh, here's what I'll say. For $24 million, when you consider the top caliber quarterbacks make 35 plus, um, you're getting a steal. Tony may not agree, but to me, at $24 million, I think you're getting a steal. Again, you can't talk about the value, like how much money that is. We're talking about quarterbacks, right? Again, Teddy Bridgewater makes $25 million. So um, anyways, do I think Carson Wentz is has the potential? Sure, he has the potential. But one of the things about Carson Wentz, like Mitchell Trubisky, is you look at him and you're impressed with his physique. He's six foot four, prototypical size, and is mobile. He is mobile, but... One of the things he does poorly and why he's so fumble happy is he holds onto the ball way too long. He thinks he's Ben Roethlisberger, but he's not big enough to take the hits and the, the ball comes out of his hands. That's the reality with the kid. And like, that's the question. Can he be coached to make progressions and make reads faster and let go of the ball? Because it, it's not a question of can he throw the ball? He can throw the ball great, but this year was terrible. But every year is terrible with fumbles. I think. He, his best season, he had four fumbles. Like, best season, but the least was like four. Um, so, I if I don't know too much, all I can say is, yeah, he's going to have to do something to to get this kid to start over. It's, it's a fresh start. They're a great team, but we'll see. You know, all, all I can say is at $24 million, it, it's worth taking a risk because they're already, a, they were a playoff contender. And if they didn't, if Philip Rivers wasn't 41 or 42 last year, who knows? I mean, we saw the Chiefs, they, they weren't exactly lighting it up. They did enough to win, but no one until we got to the Super Bowl. But you know what I'm saying? The point being is who knows? Who knows what this team could have been with a better quarterback? Now, is Carson Wentz that quarterback? To Tony's point, absolutely not. But to me, I think it's possible that he can get them in contention. And while they have a great team, they don't want to play wait and see. They don't want to take a year off. They don't want to get some decent guy. They want to try to win now. And I think this is a smart, like if they traded a first round pick, I'd be with Tony on this. And I would say that was stupid. But to me, it's a second and a third. I think this, you know, I think this is their opportunity. Can he be coached? We'll see. Because clearly, according to Philadelphia, he has problem with hard coaching and he doesn't take criticism well. So I don't know, Jeff, you know, I don't know if will he be able to take the criticism required to be a starting quarterback in the league. He seems very soft. So to answer your question, I don't believe any coach is capable 
it's going to be a matter of Carson Wentz, is he mature enough yet? And has he matured? Because if he hasn't matured, what happened last year will happen this year in Indianapolis, even with the better team. Tony Ray, you you have proven on the wire that you have the ability to foresee the future. So what do you see <laughs> looking into Carson Wentz's future right now? Oh, you're funny. So it, I agree with Richie. It's all up to Carson Wentz. And to be honest with you, Frank's going to have to put him in a system that's going to be beneficial for him. Now, the good news is, is they already had that system with, you know, with uh, Rivers. And, you know, Rivers was making 25 mil for his last year. So they're right on par of where they were. They actually saved a million dollars. But, you know, I, I just, to me, Carson Wentz isn't even on Phillip's level. You know, so that's why I have a problem with that, with that number. And Phillip is just, hey, gun high, gun ho, you know, I, I'll show up, but I never really make it that far in the playoffs. Um, I, I just, I, I don't see it. My my prediction will be that the Colts will go seven and nine next year, and I know we're a long way out, uh, but I, I believe they'll go seven and nine. Um, I think Carson Wentz will probably be middle of the pack, probably not even middle of the pack. He'll probably be more towards the bottom, and it's just it seems like I'm a Carson Wentz hater, but I, I really am. I'm trying not to be, but. You know, you've got people, you've got Ryan Tannehill making $29 million. You've got Kirk Cousins making $31 million. You had Teddy Bridgewater, like Richie said, making, what was it, $25 million you said, Richie? Like, $25 million. These people, just because they're a quarterback, are getting paid dough, and they're not getting the job done. Ben Roethlisberger, potentially, is going to be pushed out of Pittsburgh because he's making way more money than he is worth. $41 million is what he'll be booked for next season. He's not worth it. He's not. I'd only pay Patrick Mahomes that money, and hell, I might as well pay Tom Brady since he knows how to win no matter where he's at. So, But Tom's not even making that kind of money. But in to, to not go off topic here, Carson Wentz is going to do Carson Wentz things and every dog can hunt and if there's shit they know how to find their asshole so we'll see what happens with Carson Wentz he's got to make it happen there's 30 there's 30 what 31 other teams I'm sure he's going to be somewhere in the 20th range for the quarterbacks and but it also depends on where those teams are with their quarterbacks you know you might have a team that no Ben Roethlisberger is there and they got Mason Rudolph, good old helmet Mason, might be for Dwayne Haskins for the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and see what happens. So, I oh. mean, I don't know. He was his coordinator, guys. You know, that, that is an important detail. He was his coordinator in 2017, and he had a very successful season. So it's possible. Yeah, anything is possible. And uh, Tony, just before we completely leave the the word Ben Roethlisberger to die, must tell you, last week here on The Wire, we made amends. And Richie actually made amends with Ben Roethlisberger. He's talking about your boy, Richie. You guys are cool now, right? No, we're not cool. We're not cool. I said I made amends. I didn't say we're cool. I still think he's the reason in this latter half of the century why the Steelers haven't won anything. I'm sorry, it's true. When he was a young pup, 
there was a, a small frame where he was a top three quarterback. About three years, in my opinion. And you're talking some of the greatest quarterbacks in the modern generation, and he was one of them for a small period of time. Then he had talent flourishing around him. The one thing I'll give him credit is he found a way to have those egos come together and play. I'll give him that. He's a leader, but he just can't, he's not a winner. Like, yeah, he wins in the regular, but he just never won when it mattered with what the talent he had around him. Like, that's my biggest thing and will always be about Ben. And that's why I'll never give him that much credit is you had like top three wide receivers like year after year, you throw one out, you get a new one and it didn't matter. And it wasn't Ben making them top three wide receivers. They were just top three wide receivers. You had excellent running backs as well. He had a prolific offenses that he got to be a part of, emphasis on he got to be a part of it. He was not the reason for it. And he just couldn't win. It was just disappointing. I mean, no, I will never make amends with that man. He got one opportunity. It's over. It's over, so, Ben. That was last week. You, you get five. That was last week. This is this week. Take your $5 million. Take your pay cut. It's the only way you're going to play for the Steelers. I mean, the GM's even saying he might not. You know, he's just considering if he's going to let you play, man. It's over. Retire. You said if Pouncey retired, you were going to retire. Pouncey retired. <laughs> Lot, lots going on in Pittsburgh. Mike Tomlin coming down with COVID. And and guys, the the quarterback carousel just seems to keep spinning around this year. Um, and yeah. we're talking about names like Carson Wentz, Teddy Bridgewater, and the money they're making. Meanwhile, over in New Orleans this week, Drew Brees just lowered the minimum on his salary to one, $1.1 So what we've seen in the past, that's a sign of things going out. And my question is, is it a question still of if Drew Brees is going to retire or is the question when? It's neither. He's retiring. What you just said. Uh, when they retire, they always pull it down. That way, it's the smallest amount against the cap. They take all their money out and pull it in at the end. So that way the cap room is just, like, it's still dead money, so to speak, but it doesn't hurt that like they still have to pay him. But by putting it into his actual salary, they get more wiggle room, which is what the Saints desperately need. If he was planning on playing on any level, he wouldn't be doing that like that. So um, to me, it's a sign of he done and um, we gonna see Jameis Winston. That, that's my opinion. I, you know, within the next month, I'm sure he's gonna like, there'll be a formalized, I'm retiring. Uh, I just don't see this as like, I think he's done. Tony? I mean, I agree with Richie. My only question is, is how, how long is it gonna be before Sean Payton is gone? You know, that, that, that's, that's my next part. You know, when, when, when are they gonna start throwing heat and he's gonna be in the hot seat because Drew Brees isn't there because the Saints have not been the Saints for a while. You know, they just did it to Green Bay where they, you know, ripped that team apart because Aaron Rodgers and the, and the head coach wasn't getting the job done since 2011. You know, so I'm just wondering when they're going to do the same thing for, to Sean Payton. You know, so Drew Brees is done. He's, he's out the door. Richie explained that very well. I, I just I, I'm now concerned on because if James Jameis Winston is your quarterback or Hill, you know, good luck to the Saints and good luck to Sean Payton. We'll, we'll see what, what happens with that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. All I'll say is he's never, Sean Payton's career has always been t- attached to Drew Brees. 
kind of like Belichick and Brady. Now, in 10 games, he went 8-2 and two without him, using Taysom Hill, using Jameis Winston. But what will he do? To me, that's going to be the interesting thing as Tony's point. How will he fare when he doesn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback? And we're about to find out. Absolutely. Well, the last thing I have, and then we'll open it up for any other NFL discussion that you guys want to talk about before the break. Uh, we mentioned Cam Newton and how he's currently in the free agency and, and figuring things out, I guess. Um, but the big headline with him this week is everybody knows, uh, you know, we can take we can take whatever shots we want to at the man for football. But what he does for the community, what he does for young athletes, I don't think any of us can really dig on him for because he's he's got a wonderful training camp uh he's he's a philanthropist in that right and, and the video went viral this week from his training camp a young kid just letting him have it over the free agency i mean why are you here teaching us you a free agent you a free agent <laughs> um, my question is what do, what does this say about uh the the youth the athletes uh, at that level um is there just an oddball case where, where this kid didn't have enough discipline? I, I will state before we get into it, he did come back on Twitter after no doubt talking to his parents, teachers, somebody, um, and apologized formally to Cam. But what is what is your impression, having seen this, um, if you've seen it, I, I think everybody had seen it. What is your impression of what's going on with our youth? We'll start there. Uh, Tony. Mm. I mean, there's, there's people still going to Michael Jordan basketball camps. Michael Jordan is not Michael Jordan that he used to be, right? When he played for the Wizards, he wasn't at the level that he was through the 90s. It was a respect. You know, he's taking his time to do it. Cam Newton is taking his time to tutelage these young, aspiring, ambitious people for the sport that he loves. You just have to be a little bit more disciplined about how you say things and when you say things because, you know, everyone goes through hardship. Everyone has hurdles that they have to jump, you know, so you, you just have to stay respectful. He's a free agent, but it, you have, he has a past and he has a present, okay? And the present right now for Cam Newton is not what he used to be. You just have to take that into, consider, into consideration, excuse me. You still have to respect him no matter what, because you're there because he allowed for you to be there because he had that camp. If he didn't have that camp, you wouldn't even be at that camp. So, you know, I agree with what you said. It, it comes down to discipline. He might have came back and realized that he shouldn't have said what he said, how he said it, whatever. Maybe it was in the middle of, a, you know, he was feeling something and, you know, he got a little cocky. And you know how it is when you when you're competitive and you're playing stuff. You know, you trash talk a little bit, but you got to be careful what you say, you know, especially to somebody that's trying to look out for you and do something for you. So that was my biggest takeaway and concern was, man, like, you know, all these people talking smack to, to people that are trying to do something for them. And just because you're not disciplined enough in your, your mindset and you're just saying the wrong things, it's unfortunate it happened, but guess what? I'm sure it's not the last time. And I'm sure it won't be the only time. And I'm sure there was times that it happened before. So. Yeah, and 
And and the funny thing was, uh, to me at least, Cam Newton's response to all of this was relatively uh, laid back, kind of calm. I mean, he 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 dug back into him. He definitely called him out. I don't know if uh, for the viewers, go check it out. All you have to t- type in is Cam Newton versus high schooler, and it'll come up. Um, but he asked him about the record. He started asking teammates, "What's this guy do for the team?" I mean, he he started to dish it back. But his initial response was, "I'm rich, though." I made a living. I think that's, you know, what he was trying to say. I made a living doing this. Uh, Richie, what is your take? Obviously, I still want to hear about your your thoughts on the youth, but on Cam Newton's handling this kind of situation, knowing, I mean, he saw the camera was rolling and they, they're, these athletes are getting used to that being a possibility when something goes, goes around. Well, um, what I'll say is it just shows Cam Newton's maturity process, right? 2015 MVP, um, he, he couldn't even do the post-game interview, right? He was he just wasn't mature enough to be able to be humble in defeat in that moment. So to see kind of this 180, you know, you still got to see kind of what you're referring to. Cam was still kind of barking a little bit, but more playfully and in jest. And he honestly took it in good stride. The only thing he was telling the young gentleman was, you know, where's your father? Because he wanted to talk to his dad. Um, I think Cam Newton handled it wonderfully, honestly. Because like I said, uh, one of the things I used to have an issue with Cam Newton was his immature, quite frankly. I think he was very immature. He was always incredibly gifted. And um, I, I, you know, I think through the process of his injuries and his play, you've seen the humility come from him at this point. So um, it's a very, I don't think many people could have done a better job than what Cam Newton did in that sense. Um, you know, it's disappointing, but the young man's 15 years old at the end of the day. Do I think he did the right thing? No. Would I have done that at 15? No, of course not, because he's not a peer. Right now, if I'm a 15-year-old, I would have said that shit to another 15-year-old, but I don't think I would have said it to an adult, let alone somebody's function who's helping me, as Tony mentioned. So I'm not going to get into all that. I mean, it's very obvious why you shouldn't. And, you know, do I think... I, don't, I wouldn't say it's indicative of all these things. I just think this young gentleman, for whatever reason, you know wanted a smack talk thinking he'd look cool in front of his peers. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he does regret it now. I think he does, re- you know, let's be honest, you know, we, we all made silly mistakes when we were young. So I, I do I think it was right? Do I think this is like indicative of this kid's character? Possibly, but I, I do think this is a learning potential for him as well. Because at the end of the day, you know, Cam, like Tony said, Cam Newton doesn't have to do these things. He does it for people. Cam Newton's very charitable. You know, made well over a hundred million dollars. Former MVP, been to the Super Bowl, been there, done that. You know, um, so I, I think it was disappointing to see. But I mean, come on, I, I think I'd be more frustrated or angry if this was like a college kid at this point. Like that's how I feel. This kid's 15 years old. I'm sure his parents are embarrassed. I'm sure he's embarrassed. And I think it's time to just leave it alone. Like you know, he's 15. He, he screwed up. I'll tell you what my takeaway is before we open the forum. I, to me, I'm gonna actually shift the blame. I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't want to take any of it away from the kid. Obviously, he needs to to grow up. But he, like you said, he's 15. He's in that age. Um, but the fact that he wasn't able to recognize the opportunity that was right in front of him, I think that, like Tony had mentioned, that's probably way more prevalent than we're seeing. And I blame the teachers around him, the the parents, like like Cam kept saying, let me let me talk to your dad these children these they have a pathway in front of them due to a gift 
that they they've been given and that they've honed and that they've worked you know because they have a passion for it and for some people that that really may mean changing their entire life and giving them a life that they will otherwise not get and uh given the situations that a lot of these young athletes come from um that's their only ticket um and and the alternative is something we don't even want to bring up so to me i think that that especially to any student that would be in this situation they need to be made very well aware and in whatever way that needs to be you know in my day it was a belt and a paddle but that's not acceptable anymore but <laughs> whatever way it is they need to understand the opportunity that's in front of them at 15 years old playing in a training camp with a former MVP who's been to the Super Bowl who's made hundreds of millions of dollars playing the sport that can literally change their and their family's life um i i got to blame the role models i don't think it's really a, a counterpoint but it to me that's what's really stuck out um so for the end of the NFL here does anybody else have any any uh anything they'd like to talk about before we go to the commercial super brief JJ Watt free agent he was released Deshaun Watson not so lucky where do you guys think he wants to go some people saying Green Bay some people saying Pittsburgh he's mentioned Cleveland on Twitter and it wasn't like a joke he said Cleveland does look good for him so where do you think is his best fit and where do you think he'll ultimately go? Justin. Um, honestly, that would be pretty nasty in Cleveland. That that would that would make Mark with Miles Garrett. <laughs> that would be pretty nasty. As far as best fit, that that would be pretty nasty, but something that I'd love to see and something that I think um with the with the season his brother just had. Um could be a possibility. I, I, I think that he could go to uh, and and very well might go to Pittsburgh. I I, I just see that um, as a, a couple of win-win situations. Now the problem with Pittsburgh is you know quarterback offense. There's there's a lot of problems in Pittsburgh. Cleveland seemingly on the cusp of something beautiful here. So I, I like like I said, I think the better fit is Cleveland, but the better story is Pittsburgh. Um, and there's, of course, a variety of other options for him out there. <laughs> I don't think sure. anybody's going to not look at J.J. Watt. But. I'm sure there's probably 30 teams looking at it. <laughs> Tony, how about you? What you think? I mean, it's very simple. You know, he, he can go to Green Bay, you know, hometown. He could go to uh, Cleveland. He could go to Pittsburgh. And he could go to Buffalo. Okay, so here's the great news. I'd like for him to go to Pittsburgh, but that's me dreaming. Because if he wants to play for a championship caliber team that can win right now, he needs to go to either Cleveland or he needs to go to Green Bay, Buffalo, and then Pittsburgh last, okay? Um, he might not get the money that he wants if he goes to Pittsburgh and they keep Ben Roethlisberger with a restructure, but if they get rid of Ben, Oh, he's gonna. There's gonna be plenty of money for him to sign there. But now you're playing for the last team out of those four that's gonna make it anywhere in the playoffs because you have to go through those teams. Number one, you know, except for Green Bay, um, you have to go through those teams to be able to make it to the Super Bowl. And plus, you're not even considering Kansas City. You know, you have to. Yeah. You have to get through Kansas City. So. 
you know, to me, out of those four teams that shows that uh, he has the most interest in, I love to say Pittsburgh, but in reality, it, it looks better for him to go to the Browns, Green Bay, and then Buffalo and Pittsburgh last. Okay. Yeah, for me, um, I, I agree with both of you. I think what Justin said is the story sounds great with the Watt brothers together, but I'm not J.J. Watt, so I can't sit here and, and speculate. But from what he said, he wants to win now. And to Tony's just point, if Ben's on there, they're not winning. If Ben leaves, they're also not winning. I'm sorry. At least not right now. Right? I, I Mason Rudolph is not it. If I'm J.J. Watt, like, even though my brother's sitting there and honestly, almost, you could argue, didn't get defensive player, but should have. Some could argue that. Playing opposite side of your brother sounds like a dream. It really does. You know, and, and Miles Garrett being the only, you know, an equivalent, we're going to Cleveland is basically that, but a slight upgrade. But the question is, can Cleveland win? I'm not saying they can't, but if, it, if it's me, I think the most logical choice is Green Bay. I think going with Aaron Rodgers, going back to your hometown, you know, if you're talking about winning is the priority, that's that's the place you go. They have the best quarter. If, if you don't go there, then it's a toss-up for me between Buffalo and Cleveland. If I'm J.J. Watt and I still care about my stats, I go to Cleveland. Because you can't double me because then Miles is going to get single. So I'm going to have, a, you know, I'm going to go back to, okay, it's not just Aaron Donald. I'm J.J. Watt and I'm still here. If he goes to Cleveland, he has that chance. If he goes to any other team, he's not going to have that potential. He's going to get doubled again. Because even in Houston, he was getting doubled. Outside of Aaron Donald, he was the second most doubled player in the National Football League. So I, I don't know. Maybe he's getting tired of that. Like career statistics, he goes to Cleveland. If he wants to win, he goes to Green Bay. So I, I'm, I'm shooting for hometown hero. I think he's over the statistics. He's a three-time defensive player of the year. He's been there, done that. He wants a ring. So I, I'm going with Green Bay. And that, that's all I want to talk about, guys. JJ Watt, how often do you see a Hall of Fame defensive end still in his prime, 31 years old, I believe, open on the market? That's just crazy to me. Man, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with them. Uh, folks, don't go anywhere. You're watching The Wire. When we come back, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to pass the ball as we talk about the NBA and, and see uh, what stories everybody wants to talk about. And we're going to bring back something from last week because, you know, we didn't have Tony Ray. So we're all going to make amends with somebody else tonight uh, here on The Wire. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yeah, I would love to see him play with his brother, though. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would be a, a documentary. I, I, I'd love to see him play with Miles Garrett or TJ Watt. I mean, that's going to be. Either one of them. Either one. Oh, my God. Justo from the H2G podcast. Hello there. Are you ready for season four? Yeah. I love the way it sounds. <clears throat> Gotta get my meat wad voice ready. <clears throat> This season will be bigger and better than ever. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's good to see you. Catch the H2G podcast season four, Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Facebook and YouTube. Oh, the best part of my week. And don't miss The Wire every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's been a long time coming. We'll see y'all next week. Welcome. 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 To the H2G. To the H2G. To the H2G. Podcast. 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 We'll see you there.
All right, welcome back to The Wire. It is time to move on to something a little more relevant. Well, I guess it's all relevant, but the NBA, it's time to talk some basketball. And we're going to pass the ball this week. So I will start with a couple stories and we'll pass the ball around and and talk about what we want here uh, on The Wire. So in what I consider to be like an ever-developing story, um, over there in Brooklyn <laughs> right now guys this is the situation the Nets have won the past five games and they've done it all without their leading shooter uh, which is Kevin Durant so uh, first question uh, because and, and Tony will have to fill you in on this Sahi last week made an interesting you know an interesting theory uh, conspiracy whatever you want to call it mm. that maybe uh, Kevin Durant's taking himself a little break because this is an ine- inevitably a playoff team and he and they're going to start trading off vacations so that everybody's fresh for the playoffs. Um, my theory last week was this is an extension. That's the same leg as his Achilles injury. This is an extension of that injury. He's dealing with a hamstring issue. I think it might be compensation. Tony, what are your thoughts on, on the status? Let's start with the status of Kevin Durant. I mean, he came back playing like Kevin Durant off of that ankle injury, but now he's missed five straight games um, with a hamstring injury on the same leg. Listen, uh, you know, Brooklyn, when they made that trade for Harden, it completely changed the dynamic of this team. Okay, so you don't need all three. And sometimes when you have all three, it it, it might be a little dicey. You know, um, there was a power three back when we were doing our radio show uh, at Wright State. And I always told you it was a power two. Okay. There, the, the third one was, it was nothing. You know, it, it was nothing. And, and then there's Bosch. Okay. Uh, you can't say that about the Brooklyn Nets. There is no, there. there is, you know, and then there's Kyrie. And then there's Harden. And then there's, you know, Durant. You, you can't say it. Um, you know, that team is set. They don't need Kevin Durant right now. If he wants to take time off to freshen up or, you know, maybe he does have a, a problem and, you know, it's not being reported that that's really what it is. We don't know that information. But if he wants to take five games off, what is it? Their, their win streak is six games in a row after yesterday. So there's mm-hmm. six games winning streak right now. Um, do it. Do it. Brooklyn is by far the team to beat in the East, and they're showing that that that's what they are. Um, you've got great teams in the East still. I mean, it's nothing is guaranteed, so we, we can't say that. You know, you still have the 76ers. You still have the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, you got the Celtics that are kind of doing okay, but it's not the end of the season. So, you know, only time will tell. Any injuries to any team, just like in any sport, it's going to hinder what that team can actually do. We don't know what's going to happen, but if the the season was to end today, I would be the most scared for the team in the East, and that team would be the Nets for me. Hopefully that answers your question. Oh, absolutely. You know, Richie, after hearing Sahi's theory, and and even you kind of leaned into it for, for a little while there, I watched this week under a different magnifying glass, you know, pregame, I see Kevin Durant sitting on the sidelines, joking, laughing with everybody. 
uh, not that a hamstring injury definitely like keeps you down morally the whole time or anything, but I was I was trying to watch it through that lens. Um, but the question still remains: Is it that, or are we seeing the the begin of a downward spiral for Kevin Durant physically? We know he can play the game better than most people that have ever played the game, but is he bouncing back from the Achilles injury? Is he is he the Kevin Durant that just wiped that injury clean and started the season, um, or is it more likely that this is this is truthfully a de- degeneration issue? I mean, I didn't lean into anything. It's reality. They were taking breaks. <laughs> Kyrie Irving went on a sabbatical. Right? He had, and he didn't explain himself as we discussed. We have no clue why Kyrie Irving just disappeared. Kyrie Irving comes back, balls out for five games, and then magically Kevin Durant gets injured and he's been out for five games. Nah. You, you know what's going to happen after this? James Harden's back is going to be hurting and he's going to load manage. I mean, we already talked about this last week on the wire. Sahi and I are on the same page. Now, don't get me wrong. Sahi started it. And once I realized what Sahi was saying, the lights came on for me. That's what happened. So I didn't lean into it. I, I just adopted Sahi's theory. But as far as do I think it's an injury? Uh, honestly, I really don't think it's related to the Achilles. And the reason I say that is he was balling the whole time. And it'd be different if the, re- the reason why he was taken out the first game he was taken out was because of a COVID, a potential COVID positive. They pulled him out. And then afterward, they they announced the hamstring, which leads me to, again, go with the theory that it's load management in a different form and they're just hiding. I don't believe by any means. Now, don't get me wrong. Is it possible that he's injured and it's more than obviously what Saudi and I have been said? Of course. But we don't know if he's injured because when he was pulled, he was a healthy scratch. He played for three quarters and then they pulled him because he had a positive potential and it turned out to be negative. But then after that, he had to di- social distance from the team for a week. And now he's, you know, at this point, hamstring injury. So do I think he's, he's injured? No, I really don't think he's injured. Um, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I think he should always be injured. He looks like a tarantula. He's seven foot, like, you know, 120 pounds. And every time he walks, I think his legs are gonna break. So I'm shocked in that sense that uh, he's only been injured one time in his career. Because if you look at him, it looks like if somebody were to sneeze, he'd fall over. Like he's, I don't understand. I don't understand this word. But he's the only man I've ever seen that looks skinnier than Tony. Like that's Kevin Durant. So uh, anyways, uh, no, I don't I don't think it, <laughs> I don't think anything about Kevin in terms of being injured. Is it possible? Yeah. And Justin, to your point and to what I've always felt, I've never seen, except for one or two times, uh, Dominique Wilkins being one of them, somebody come back from an Achilles and still play at a similar level, let alone what Kevin's been able to do so far. But no, I don't think so. I just think uh, it's load management. I'm sticking to it. I think pretty soon you're going to see James Harden's been playing a lot of minutes here lately. 28 points, 15 assists, nine rebounds. You know, he's probably going to be like, you know, I don't know. My knee hurts. My knee hurts. And he'll be out for five games when Kevin comes back. Because you only need two to win, as we just mentioned. You don't need all three of them. So... Clearly, I mean that's what that's my next question. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, the past five games has been nothing, and they've they've had what uh, eight games where they won against winning teams, you know, in the in the the, the NBA. I mean, what are your th- did anybody? I don't think anybody predicted 
um, them to be able to do it this successfully with two. What are your thoughts on the fact that with Kevin Durant out, they seem to be just fine? <laughs> uh, my thoughts are this. You have three future Hall of Famers, Kyrie being the least skilled of the three, statistically speaking. Um, it's going to work. It doesn't, you could, any combo of the three can beat anybody. And the best way I can describe this is very simple. In 2015 through 2018, we watched one LeBron James play with Kyrie Irving. Now, is James Harden LeBron James? No. Is Kevin Durant LeBron James? No. But they are very skilled in that, they're in that stratosphere of play. Both of them are. You know, you're talking about former MVPs. The only one who's not is Kyrie. But Kyrie is averaging almost 28 points a game this season. Like, of all three of them, you would not expect Kyrie Irving to be leading the team in scoring. But Kyrie Irving is. So give him some respect as well. We were even joking originally, you know, you had Batman <laughs> and then you had you know, the butler. So it's just like, no, man, he's not an Alfred. Like, Kyrie is legitimately an equal Batman, Robin, and Batman, and like whatever you want to call it, Bat-team at this point. Like any one of these combos of three are going to get it done. And again, when, when James first is playing eight points, and that's what we're talking about, oh man, he's almost going eight, and Kevin and Kyrie are going to do it. Well, look now, Kevin sits down, and James is scoring 34 points. Like it's, you know, like it's back to normal for him. And I think that's the thing is it seems like, it seems like they're all willing to take a back seat on any given night if one guy's going, going for it. And that says that's trouble for the rest of the league. Um, do I think they're the best team in the East? Ooh, that's a tough question because right now we're going to get into it a little bit later. Joel Embiid is playing at a level that I haven't seen since Shaquille O'Neal out of center. So it's going to be hard though for one man to play against that. Um, they, they look unstoppable when they're playing, even though their defense is terrible even though teams are averaging 142 points against them. Um, if you're scoring 150, you still win the game. So it's it's going to be something, I think at the beginning of The Wire, I had said that if they did get James Harden, I would quit watching the NBA. So I have to tell our fans, I lied. I'm still watching the NBA. But having said that, I'm still disappointed this team exists because this uh, was alluded to earlier, the Miami Heat. This team is better than the Miami Heat, I'm sorry. Now, whether they end up winning championships or not is all based on ego and ability to work together. Because if you talk, like, at the end, like, and then there's Bosch isn't even worth discussing. These these three are superstar. Chris Bosch was an all-star. These guys are all pro, all NBA. There is a difference in jump. Dwayne Wade and LeBron were amazing, but all three of these guys are amazing. This is... I never thought I would see three players of this caliber. The closest thing being Golden State was Clay, but Clay Thompson is not like on these guys' level. So it's just, this is crazy. It's absurd. I don't care. It could be one of the guys. One of these guys could carry this team to a win if the other two were, in my opinion. Like if it had to be done, it could get done. I don't know if that answered questions, but this Brooklyn Nets team, is I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, for me, it was uh, the role players. You know, I was I was more worried about the role players and the bench, and you know, you know, the Nets. They're just they just have these three guys, right? But like everyone's showing up and showing out. I mean, you know, DeAndre Jordan, 
you know, he's, he might only be averaging, you know, seven points a game, but he's dominant in the post. He's always getting alley-oops from Harden for the games that I watch. The one kid that's really surprising me is uh, Harris. I, I think that's his name. Yeah, Joe Harris. Joe Harris. 52% is what he's averaging right now for three-pointers. 52%. The boy's on fire right now. They're just, they're just driving the ball, kicking it out. Whoever's there, shoot the ball, goes in. You got Jeff Green, who's a monster in himself. You know, that doesn't get a lot of, uh, you know, kudos for the kind of player that he is because he's not on that level that we're talking about. In, in, in sports, you just, there's tiers of players. And you, LeBron James, James Harden, uh, Seth Curry, you know, Durant. The list goes on for that, that top tier. You know, Damian Lillard, all these top tiers. And then you've got that second tier of, of players. And Jeff Green is not even in that second tier of players. He's not. But he's balling like he's in that second tier of players because of the team that he's on. You know, so the Nets have something going on right now where you've got three all-stars playing at all-star levels and you've got pretty much rookies, and I'm talking about skill-wise, rookies and pros that are playing at that that all-pro level. They're not the all-stars, but they're, they're playing at an all-pro level right now. So, you know, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan, Jeff Green, Tyler Johnson, I mean, I could keep going, but I'm just gonna stop. They're just, they're balling right now. I'm I'm more surprised about the role players and what they're being able to bring to the table. I already knew what James Harden was gonna do. I already knew what Kyrie was gonna do. I already knew what Durant was gonna do. I just didn't know they were gonna do that together. Because you, you have, I think James Harden is leading the league with assists? Yep. Like, what? Back, back burner, and you're still getting your 25, 26, whatever he's averaging. He's still getting his his points too. So I mean, it's fun to watch. I hate it, but it's fun to watch. You know, I, I hated watching the Celtics when there was the big three, but I love watching it. But I just, it, you know, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Rondo, like, ooh, my goodness, this this three is ten times better than that three. Okay. You, you were talking, Richie, about Bosch and Wade and LeBron James. Like, I hated it, but I love watching it. This three is better than that three. You had Shaquille. You had Kobe. You had Gary Payton and Karl Malone and Derek Fisher and Rick Fox and Robert Ory. I mean, <laughs> I, could, I could go on. I loved, I loved watching that team because I'm a Shaquille O'Neal fan. But the people, they didn't like it. This three is better than that five, six, whatever I just said. It's absolutely insane. I'd love to see where this ends. I want to play NBA 2K just to play with the team. I haven't played basketball video game like 10 years, but I'm about to. Well, here's here's where you would fall on the game uh, when you try to defend. And this, this is the only thing that I'll say. They are still, yeah, they're dominating. They're playing great basketball. This is you know, unheard of. It's a spectacle. It's fun to watch. But as we've mentioned in the past, when you get to the playoffs, there's a very important factor and that's defense. And they aren't playing any. They're not playing any defense whatsoever. And and what my question 
is to, to Brooklyn, and you guys can answer it if you'd like, and we can we can stick stick with these guys or we can let it go. But are they going to be able to play defense at the level they need to? Have it not played it all season long? Are they going? Are they going to even be able? to uh, put put the defensive strategy into play. And I get it. I mean, if, as long as you win enough games, you get into playoffs, you can save your defensive play for the playoffs and focus your game a little differently there. But, you know, uh, I guess it's a matter of, of will their superstardom and their talent level supersede, you know, repetition and practice and, and preparedness? I mean, no, I mean, that's a good question. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, defense is not something you can just turn off, right? Like Justin's point, it is not something where you're a superstar and you know when it's time to come, you're going to bring it. Like, I'm sorry, you can do that on offense because that's, you know, stroke. But defense is much more cerebral. Defense is understanding play sets, understanding what your opponent's going to do and, and being prepared to do it in advance. To, to, you know, oh, well, you know, LeBron shoots 37% when he's driving to his left. So we got to get him left. And being able to preemptively as a team move him to the left because one on one, you're very unlikely to be able to keep him in one direction, being he's a behemoth of the man. So having said that, yeah, it is, it is problematic from a defensive perspective. I think the bigger thing, though, in my opinion, Justin, is their weakness is what Tony mentioned earlier. And he said, DeAndre Jordan, the corpse of DeAndre Jordan, who is doing all he can do. But they had to trade Jared Allen, their other their other player. They're a center who wasn't a starter, but played over 30 minutes a game. Jared Allen, who's on Cleveland. The, to me, that's their only way you beat them. Even with their defensive woes, to Justin's point, the, the best success will be attacking the paint, which is why I think only two teams are equipped to beat them. And it's not the Clippers. They don't have big men. I truly believe the Lakers have a chance just due to Anthony Davis and his ability to bully them. And I think Philadelphia has a huge chance, not just because of Joel Embiid, and we'll get to that later, but also because Dwight Howard, former champion of the Lakers, is now with Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. I think the the key to beating them will not be trying to score with them. It will not be trying to find their defensive deficiencies in that capacity, it will be abusing the paint because they have no defense for that. When your next biggest guy is what I said, stick man Kevin Durant, that's seven foot and weighs 210 pounds, that's how you beat them. You're not gonna outshoot them in threes unless maybe the Golden State Warriors, but even then, that's not even a conversation, not getting to the finals. There's just nobody that's equipped to, to, you can't score against those three. That's just not going to happen. But what you can do is foul out their center, DeAndre Jordan, and score 60 points on your own. If you're Joel Embiid and you're a superstar, it is a possibility. But to the point of this, in the scope of this question, they can't just turn this defense on. It could be problematic, and they do need to work on it. You cannot let your opponents score over 132 points, and that's what they're averaging now. When James joined, they were at 145. It's gone down 10 points, thank Jesus, but that's still a ridiculously high number. And I, they really need to get their stuff together. Um, they're a little undersized because of having James and Kyrie in tandem. But having said that, it's still inexcusable. If they can cut it down to 115 points per game, their opponent's averaging, I don't see how they would lose. But 
I don't know if they can get there. That's not something, you, defense is not something you turn on in any sport. It has to be your focus. You have to work on it week in and week out. And in any sport, defense wins championships. So they're gonna have to step up. Even as fun as we just talked about and all that, they gotta step up and play defense. Yeah, I mean, Richie took the words right out of my mouth, so I won't even waste time to reiterate what he said. But I'm just going to tell you the last couple of games that I saw here, okay? 132 to 128, 147 to 125, 146 to 149, 120 to 124. I can keep going. I can keep going. They can put up the points. It's if the other team can match those points. And guess what? They can match those points because they're not playing defense. Defense is a state of mind, okay? You have to have the mindset for it. You have to bring it every single night, every single day, at every single moment. And, you know, for some of these cats, they think that if they do defense, that they won't be, you know, at the caliber that they need to be on offense. I'm not gonna say someone's name, but I think everyone knows where I'm going. There's a player of mine that I love. And he was a defensive phenomenon, okay? But he also was the lead scorer, okay? His biggest downfall was he was a solo artist, okay? You can't win by yourself. You need, you need people around you. Guess what? The Nets have people around them. Kyrie's not going to win by himself. Kevin Durant, James Harden. The list goes on. They're together, they need to figure out, and the coach needs to figure out how to get them to be able to play defense better. Because if they play defense better, more than likely they're going to win if they can play defense. Because if you, they're gonna put up 110, 115, 120. It's already written in the books. I don't, I, I write it down right now. It, that's what they're gonna have. You have to stop your opponent, and if, they're, if their opponent is getting the points in the in the in the box and the paint, and you start getting frustrated, and now your mindset is you know something else where you, now you got to put up threes to match their twos because you can't drive. It, we all know what happened in the Super Bowl. Okay, defense won that game. That's it. Period. Exclamation point. It's done. The Kansas City Chiefs should have been able to do more than they were able to do, and they didn't because the Bucks' defense was phenomenal that night. And Tom Brady, that was probably the easiest, smoothest transition of the Super Bowl that he has ever had because he's never had a defense like that. Ben Roethlisberger won his first Super Bowl on the back of the defense and a very tricky play that Antoine Pines wore. Defense wins championships, ladies and gentlemen. They can be the most prolific offense, but it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, when, when it starts to get tighter, when you're down to 16 teams and those eight teams are playing for what whatever, you never know who's going to show up. The Miami Heat showed up last season. No one thought that they were going to show up, but they did. So you, you got to be ready. You got to do something different. You can keep playing how you're playing. That's fine. But... You can't say when the playoffs come around, oh, now I'm going to play defense. It doesn't happen like that. It has to be in you every single day. Otherwise, you're not going to know how to do it when the time comes. 
Absolutely. Well, I'm ready to pass the ball because the other one I've got is a little more end of the uh, end of the show type of thing before we get into Tony's uh, or to all of our make amends. But yeah, I'll pass the ball for now. Who wants it? Uh, I'll give you the ball. Give me the ball. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. All right. So I want to talk about two things. First thing, we're going to talk about... Uh, over here in Golden State, I'm not a huge Golden State fan, but like at the end of the day, I think this is what we're talking about now. The Warriors play the Charlotte Hornets. We, you know, Michael Jordan. We've been talking about them Hornets lately, actually. Lamelo Ball. Warriors are up two. Eight seconds left. Jump ball. Ball gets tipped. Gordon Hayward grabs it and falls. Draymond Green goes to catch it because that's just what happened on the previous play. When they, they tie it up and they think a jump ball is coming, ref says, Charlotte caught a timeout. Draymond Green is livid. In all fairness, that was the exact previous play. They made it a jump ball when he tried to call time. They give him a technical. He gets up, starts yelling about the technical, cusses at the ref. They give him a second technical and he gets ejected. Now to recap, Golden State was up by two. Two technicals equals two free throws. What do you think happened? Both free throws went in. Charlotte gets the ball back, and they win the game. Gold. Draymond Green literally cost his team the win. Now, what he said today, from the previous day, is he said, you know, I'm 30 years old, man. This is not the same as in the 2016 NBA Finals when I was 25. I feel more embarrassed about this than I do that because I was in control of this situation. I had the ability to walk away. What he was referring to is in the NBA Finals, he had kicked LeBron James in the uh, the groin. And after the game, it was reviewed. He was assessed a technical and he was ejected for the next game for too many technical fouls. So his reference was he was in control of this because he could have walked away. Now, Draymond Green is a hothead. He always has been. And he's, he's led the league in technicals for the last five years in a row. Now, having said that, my question is not about Draymond Green. It's not necessary. But what is going on with these players and technical fouls? Why do they think it's worth arguing with the referee as if they're going to get it over 10? I've never understood this, guys. This is what I want to talk about. Now, LeBron James does it too. I've seen him talking to the ref while the play is going on and the other team's about to score. I, I've i never understood this idea that they're going to sit there and yell or talk to the ref because they can't overturn it. That's not how refereeing works, right? You can overturn a call when it's reviewed, but you're not going to, you know, if Michael Jordan says, hey, man, he fouled me, he's not just going to be like, blow the whistle. You're right, he fouled you, Mike. It doesn't work like that. I've never understood this. I feel like this happens in basketball. I've, I don't, you know, in football, they get upset and things like that. But, you know, you don't see them constantly going at the, the referee saying, you know, like pass interference on the previous play. I'm not talking about when it just happened. I'm talking about Ben Roethlisberger throws a pass, boom. You know, pass interference, but they don't call it. Ben gets mad, that play, right? They move on, he hands the ball off. Next play goes by. He doesn't go back to the referee and say, what What about that pass interference call? But in the NBA, these guys do that stuff. And I don't understand it. I don't understand why they think they can get things over called. I know we're probably going to mostly be on the same page, but Justin, 
my question to you is this why on earth do people think like why are these players thinking that they can contest or argue with a referee do, do you what, what, what as if you were a player would you be was, is that something you'd consider doing would you consider talking to the ref to try to get him not now but in the future because that's what tony's not in your head for to try to change the future calls because the current call isn't going to be changed is that something you'd consider doing justice I mean, not preemptively, but I, I think I know where it comes from being a competitive person and, and having competed in, in multiple things. You know, it's not NBA basketball, but I I, I don't honestly get it. I, I think um, they should be held to a higher standard when it comes to professional level. I know I've spoken on this before in different avenues, but like at this point these these guys also guys and gals also have to do their job i mean they have to call a a tight ship and there's a lot going on it's not refereeing it's not a walk in the park and um i'm sorry but <laughs> in sports net net every call is going to go your way not every ref's going to see it from the angle that you thought you saw it and you're not always right um i'm sorry <laughs> every once in a while you know, every once in a while, a play is called one way and the instant replay can can reverse that and you should own it up uh, on a podcast or something and say when you're wrong uh, and when somebody else should have won and give them the win. But that doesn't happen in the NBA. That happens on H2G podcasts. That happens with Justo. That doesn't happen uh, in the NBA because th- the rules are set. This is how it goes. If a call doesn't go your way, fucking boo-hoo dude you made like a few million tonight playing a, a, a kid's game go on and play the game don't don't keep talking to the refs about the calls that they made last week i mean I, I i'm just i don't know i don't get it i think it's i think there's a professional standard and they're not meeting it when it comes to professionality like that's uh something that that we've been talking about all two seasons of the NBA now that have been basically combined. Um, I think the professionality is going down every single year. I, I mean, just little things, but this, this is another one of those. And how do you lead the league in technicals for five years straight? That's crazy. Five consecutive years. I, I know we're not going to talk about it, but I, that that's just nuts. Uh, get, bye. You're costing us games, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you. You're a great player. Get off my team. If you're not going to be a good sport, then don't play. Tony, I know you You know the tactical reasoning for it because I saw you shaking your head. Can you please elaborate on why they're trying to influence the rest of the game? Well, I'll tell you right now, real quick. So in the 90s, there was a player that ended up getting fouled, fouled all the time, okay? And people didn't like it. You know, you, you, would, you would hear him say, you know, hey, if, you ain't gonna, if, if you're not gonna call that, you know, on me, but you're gonna call that on, on Mike, what's going on here? Like, it's gotta be a fairness, right? In football, there's holding every single play. So why did you not call it when, you know, it was zero, zero, but now you want to call it because it's 21 to seven. You know what I'm saying? So, or pass interference or whatever it is. For me, if I'm being, if I'm being held, okay, and it's not being called, right? I'm going to the ref. I'm saying, Richie, listen, dude can't hold me right now. 
Justin is is holding me and nothing's being called about it. Like, I don't know what you're looking at, but I, I need for you to start making these calls because I'm, I'm doing my stuff. I'm shaking and baking. He can't hold me. Then the ref might, you know, say something, you know, hey, you know, this is my show, blah, 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 blah. And he's going to tee me up, whatever. OK, but then the next the next, you know, couple of plays, the refs are going to be looking to see exactly what it is that I'm talking about. But you have to be mindful of what you're doing. You have to you have to be you have to you can't just be cussing and saying all this other stuff. I know it's the heat of the moment, you know, so I really can't say because I don't play at that level, you know, but, you know, for Justin and Richie, they know me. I'm very competitive. I talk a lot of shit. I'm not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat it or what. There is no refs for what we do. Okay, we are each other's refs. So when we're playing something, we call each other out. That's how it is. If we had a ref and the ref wasn't calling something, oh, you damn well better know that I'm gonna say something to the ref and say, dude, you know, you costing me right now. You need to get into the damn game. If we're paying you to call shit, you need to call it. Don't just call it on, you know, Justin or, or, or because Justin is, you know, the golden boy or whatever it is. Just, you need to call it fairly the whole game. And that, and that's why you see so many people say things. Coaches, c- coaches get technicals because they're trying to change the momentum of the game. They're, they they say some shit. They they throw some shit. They you know run on the court at the ref and all this other stuff, knowing that they're getting tossed. But guess what? Those players are like, oh shit, oh man, Steve Kerr just got knocked out of the game. Doc Rivers, Bobby Knight just got knocked out of the game. We need to change what we're doing here. And they change it, and then the rest, they also, you know, they change the, the way that they make calls too. So that's that's my reasoning on it, Richie. I mean, I went in a long roundabout way, but, you know, hopefully I covered it. I mean, you covered it. I, I again, and that's that, I'm glad you brought it up because again, there's two sides to the thing. Justin's point is how I feel about it, but Tony is correct. And it was something I was trying to hint at. Ultimately, why do they do it? It's so to influence the rest of the game. I think the, the problem I have with Draymond in this example and consistently with his behavior is he's costing his team wins. I think it's one thing to do it like we're talking about to not put yourself in a position where you feel you're being cheated and you have the rest of the game to kind of like have that stop. But when you're talking end of the game end of the game and you cost your team a win literally it's embarrassing it's embarrassing to lead the league in technical fouls five years consecutively the only person who i can think has even been in a similar stratosphere was a gentleman named rasheed wallace you know him and he played for the portland trailblazers everybody loves Sheed. he went he went to detroit except um draymond's a fantastic talent but it's come on, man. You're 30 years old. You know, I, when he was 25 and he was doing the antics, I get it. But he's 30 and he's he's the leader of the team. Not Steph. He's the leader of the team. Steph was out. They could have won the game. They were ahead and they lost the game. It was just very disappointing. But I'm glad we had that conversation because now that we've talked about losing and how to lose and what not to do, I want to talk about early favorites for the MVP. MVP, guys. I'll let you guys go first, but what I will throw to the board is you got Steph Curry playing better than his unanimous 2015-2016 season. 
the only unanimous MVP, Steph Curry, in the year 2016. And he is statistically doing better than that season. He's not being talked about. Dame Lillard, that was a name thrown out by Tony Earl. Dame Lillard. Joel Embiid, LeBron James. There are some studs right now. We could talk about Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. There's so many great players. Bradley Beal, who knows? But I'm gonna start it off with Tony. Tony, who you got? Who's your MVP of the NBA right now? And you said his name last. What is that? Laser drilled holes. Oh, I'm sorry. Laser drilled holes. All right. I don't know what that was, but you said. You said it last. You said the name last, okay? My go-to is Mr. Bradley Beal. Cooking. Washington. Wizards, boy, I tell you right now, the boy is falling, okay? And I didn't pick him just because he's leading in points. I picked him because he is a phenomenon. There is, he right now to me is playing at a different level than what he is actually capable of playing in the past. So, you know, he's on a really good team with, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook. Um, You know, the Wizards, they're not being counted in. And, you know, I'm just saying for me, early MVP, it might change, but I love what Bradley Beal is doing with the Washington Wizards. I'll tell you what, he's definitely playing at the highest level I've ever seen anyone play lately. Justin, who you got? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, man, I can't, mm, I can't, I can't, let's say James Harden. I'll give reasoning. I know we're short time. Let's say James Harden. That's right. All right, well, I'm gonna go with Joel Embiid. You know, we got to make amends. I'm going to do it real quick. We've been talking a whole bunch of nonsense, but that boy is playing at a level that only Shaquille O'Neal has been averaging similar statistics. And that was in 2000, 2001, when he won the MVP. And that's going to do it, folks. we got Bradley Beal, James Harden, Joel Embiid. I'm sure we'll talk more about it next week. We're going to have to make amends on the next show. We ran out of time. Thanks for watching The Wire. We'll see you next week. That's Bradley good. Beal, I like it. I'm like, you're mine. I was going to make a minute with Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs>